From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On our last episode, we took a deep dive into Florida, Georgia, unquestionably the emotional peak the team had been building toward throughout the offseason and the early part of the 2008 campaign. But now that they had vanquished the primary villain in the Bulldogs, could they stay as mentally sharp down the stretch in pursuit of another SEC crown and trip to Miami? This is The Promise Fulfilled, Episode 4, Turning the Tide. After completing their revenge tour against Georgia, one could easily see a letdown happening the next week at Vanderbilt. But as a testament to the drive and focus of this team, they danced all over the doors in Nashville, putting up 28 points in the first 18 minutes of the game on the way to a breezy 42-14 win. Now ranked third in the nation, the Gators returned home to face South Carolina, which meant Steve Spurrier back in the swamp for the second time as the coach of the Gamecocks with memories of the 2006 Classic still fresh on the mind even two years later. What happened in their previous meeting in 2007 in Columbia was one of the performances that led to Tebow hoisting the Heisman as he ran for five touchdowns and threw for two more in a 51-31 win. Steve Spurrier was now in the ironic position of coaching against a Heisman-winning quarterback in the very stadium where he was a Heisman-winning quarterback, and there were no easy answers to defending number 15. Well, he's such a good runner. He's like a starting tailback back there when he gets the ball. So uh, you have to get everybody up there to try to stop the run first. And then, uh, and then of course, he's an excellent passer also. So uh, that's what made it difficult for all the defenses. Uh, he was a lot better passer than most people give him credit because when he got to the pros, they uh, just assumed he wasn't a very good passer, I guess. Tebow created a lot of sleepless nights for opposing coaches, but so too did that swarming Gator defense, which made its presence known on the game's first score late in the first quarter. Now, here's Smelly rolling back and looking to throw the ball. Throws it away. Interception. Brandon Spikes will score. He's got a touchdown. Oh, my. He threw it right to Brandon Spikes. The easiest touchdown he'll ever make. It's in there for six, and the Gators take the lead. Doing what they did nearly all season, the Gators almost immediately turned the game into a rout, taking advantage of multiple Gamecock turnovers to build a 28-3 halftime lead. Coming out of the locker room, if there was any concern that Spurrier could dial up some magic and change the trajectory of the game in the second half, that was snuffed out on the opening play of the third quarter. There's the snap to Tebow. He hands it off to Harvard on a cutback, off to the left of the 30, Harvard to the 40, Harvard to the 50, and there he goes! Harvard on his way! He's gone! He's gone! He's gone! 80 yards for a touchdown! Oh my! 34 to 3. Wow, that was special. Yeah, Percy could have easily been the Heisman winner uh, that year. But uh, yeah, Percy made big play after big play uh, for the Gators uh, in those ball games, running out of the shotgun or catching little quick screens or, or catching deep balls. Uh, He's a tremendous talent, and uh, and he was used very well by uh, Coach Dan Mullen and, and Urban and those offensive guys. 56-6 was the final score on that day, eclipsing the winning margin from the 06 Jarvis Moss game by a mere 49 points. 
Following that week was a 70-19 drubbing of the Citadel, which set up a critical clash with Florida State and Tallahassee that served as the last test before the SEC championship. Moreover, it gave a borderline top 25 FSU team the chance to play spoiler and knock the Gators out of the BCS hunt. The Orange and Blue were undoubtedly much more talented than the Seminoles, but as offensive coordinator Dan Mullen recalls, the rapidly changing Florida forecast caused some last-minute consternation. I remember the, the Florida State game uh, coming in from warm-ups, and Urban's in the locker room, and we came in from our warm-ups, and he's like, he grabs me, so we need a whole new game plan. And uh, because of this weather, it's ankle-deep water out there. And he's like, well, we, you know, we're, we're just going to let Tim pound away at him. I'll run it all the time. And I said, you're right. You know, I'm like, we do need a new game plan. He's like, all right, let's get it. I said, we need to throw it all over the place because we didn't try to pass in hormones. And they're going to be slipping and sliding and falling everywhere. And, uh, and he looked at me like I had six heads. <laughs> and uh, But we came out and threw it all over him. While the Gators threw the ball around a good bit that stormy afternoon, they also pounded the Seminoles on the ground racking up 317 yards thanks to Tebow, Chris Rainey, and Jeff Demps. It was great, man. You know, like I said, especially for me, you know, that was my childhood dream school, man. But, you know, during the game, it it, it clicked that, Mm. you know, I wasn't the Seminole anymore. You know what I mean? I'm like, I think I did the Gator Chump for the, like my second time ever doing the Gator Chump. That was it. The first time I think I did it versus LSU was, just, you know, it was just a drilling. It still wasn't like uh, I, I didn't feel the the real feel of being a Gator until, you know, we played FSU and then I did the Gator jump in the game. I think it was like I called like a screen pass or something. And I think it was mine road maybe. Mm. You know, I got maybe picked up the first, you know, big collision. And then I got up, you know, and just – Gator jumped in his face, and I, like at that point, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a real Gator right now, man. You know, I'm not a Seminole anymore." Right. Like, you know, I, I felt like I had something to prove. Mm-hmm. You know, we all did. You know, but especially like I said, me with the history. So you know, I wanted to come out and have a good game. But just us, you know, like I said, as a team, we wanted to come out and just dominate FSU, man. Like, and it was you know the atmosphere was crazy. Like the weather, you know, rainy. Right. Like. You know, that old school football, that old school football weather, man, where everybody wants to play in. You know, it's wet, it's dirty, it's muddy. Mm-hmm. You know, you you just look tough, man, and we just wanted to come out. And like I said, I was listening, like I said, I was listening to that uh, podcast with Tim and Urban, and Urban was saying that, you know, they went into, uh, before the game, he was talking to Mullen, and they were saying, we're going to, we gonna we gonna call the game like it's 80 degrees outside. Not, you know, like, like it was 80 degrees, right? And it's pouring down raining, and you know, so when we came out, it was like it was that. That's how they called the game, you know, like it was eighty degree. We stuck to the game plan. We stuck to, you know, running our option, passing the ball like it was, you know, it was eighty degrees sunny outside, mm-hmm. and we just took them apart, man. For sophomore safety Ahmad Black, the change in weather carried little importance since they had the same attitude regardless. I just remember just waking up and it was, you know, it was hot, it was bright, it was sunny, and everybody's like, yeah, man, you know, get ready for the game. And we're going to kick Florida State ass anyway. We just did it the year before. So <laughs> we knew they, they weren't ready for us, but, you know, it's, it got weird. You know, close to the, it got to the game, it started getting like overcast, uh, gloomy. So again, closer it got to the game, it started drizzling a little bit. And, you know, we got on the bus, it was drizzling a little bit. And we're like, all right, you know, what's going on? You know, it's going to just pass over us. And then we got off the bus and it's like freaking downpour. And we're like, wait. 
and you know we go we go you know get changed and come back out for, for warm-ups and it's just it, i mean by this time it's freaking storming you know urban's loving it splashing everywhere and by this time we're like all right cool you know it is what it is and you know we're going out here as another game another we used to always say lock the doors because we're gonna come we're gonna come to your stadium we're gonna lock the doors we're gonna lock the doors with, with us in there and you in there and we're gonna come out the winner so let's go in there and, and, and put the chains on the door and we're gonna lock it we're gonna we're gonna, we gonna battle it up and, and that's what we knew. We're gonna go in there and battle it out. Boom. I think we picked like we had like five interceptions. And then uh I think they switched quarterbacks and whatnot. You know, but after that, man, just, they had nothing for us. I mean, we we Percy, I think Percy scored two times early. It was, it was all over the place. They, they couldn't even move the ball. Florida wrapped up the regular season in dominating fashion at eleven and one, making winning look so effortless that it became easy to take it for granted. Although athletic director Jeremy Foley knows how hard it is to build and maintain success at that level. Well, again, you can't you take it don't take it for granted, especially as you, you know, I would tell any fan of any team is having great success, enjoy the heck out of it because it's not lasting like that. You know, I love the fact that you know you saw a group of kids, a group of coaches who, you know, obviously did a heck of a job motivating, game planning, and recruiting, and you know, preparing. You don't have runs like that without being ready to play every single week, which is a credit to those kids, credit to the coaching staff. So. Much of anything else, I just remember that um, I think, you know, that we did our job in a very, very, you know, professional manner. You know, we went about our business the way good teams should, good players should. We didn't have guys, you know, stepping out of line. And we kind of put the pedal to the metal. And that's what good teams do. That's what great teams do. That's what we did. All eyes were now on the SEC championship game and number one Alabama who were in Saban's second year and just on the precipice of transforming into the behemoth they became. As the Gators prepared for the game, they had to do so without Percy Harvin, as the junior suffered a high ankle sprain against Florida State and was quickly ruled out. While it's been well documented how talented this team was, this was a big challenge, as they were without not just one of the most dynamic players in recent Gator lore, but legitimately in the history of college football. Replacing him wouldn't be easy, but as Urban Meyer remembers, one of the people who stepped up in the wake of the promise was able to find his purpose. Well, what happened uh, after the Tim Tebow speech uh, when we lost to Ole Miss, David Nelson was waiting for me uh, early in the morning on Sunday uh, by my office and uh, in tears and just uh, it hit home that he's really doing nothing to help our team. You know, he's one of those energy takers. He wasn't giving anything back to the program and he had talent. And he looked to me in, in tears and said, I'll do anything. No, I'm not doing enough. And that was kind of the mentality of our team uh, for the rest of the year. Ironically, David Nelson's the one that stepped in and scored a touchdown against uh, Alabama. And the other name that we didn't have is Cornelius Ingram, who a great football player for right. us in 06 and 07, decided to come back for 08 and had a non-contact ACL injury in training camp. Mm-hmm. And so you're, ba- you're, you know, offensively, you're without, I think, the best player in America and Percy Harvin and arguably one of the best tight ends in America and C- on CI. Mm-hmm. And so getting ready for that game, we knew they were great. Uh, it was an epic battle. And uh, the second half was uh, an incredible performance by uh, both sides of the ball. For Mullen, the key was focusing on Nelson's strengths and how they could tailor the game plan to best compensate for Harvin's absence. I think what it was is, you, you know, I mean, you knew coming in, David Nelson was going to take a lot of his reps. And David is, I mean, an, a great football player. And so I think part of it came down to, hey, um, 
you know, we lost a guy that's a weapon that people are scared to death of and can score every single time he touches the ball. But we're replacing him with a guy that is a big time football player. And now he might not, you know, I mean, he's going to he's going to create mismatches. He's going to create size matchups. He's going to be able to get open and make the plays. Now, after once the ball's in his hand, he might not make six people miss and go 70 yards like Percy could do. Um, you know, I don't know that anybody could do that. Mm. But I think the confidence in the team was, hey, we have enough other playmakers out there that we're going to spread the ball around and we still have matchup advantages all over the field. One of those advantages could be found in Jeff Depps, whose world-class speed out of the backfield became much more important without the make-you-miss ability of Percy. I mean, it definitely was a blow. You know, not having a person in there was a blow, man. You know, yeah, you know the the, the kind of player Percy is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it was a whole another factor. And when we had Percy, you know, we played on a whole another level. Like we were already, you know, good. You know, we had fast guys, but even just having Percy took us to another notch. So not having him was was you know was a blow. But everybody understood, especially you know the offensive and defensive side understood that you know we had to step up. Like if, if Percy's down, you know everybody's gonna have to step their uh, their level of play up, and that's what it was. And Percy spoke to us, you know, like me and Randy, you know, to make sure you know that we understood what was at stake, you know, how to prepare. So you know we were good, you know, we just understood that we had to step our level of game up. But it, it definitely was a blow for us. And it wasn't just the offensive coaches and players feeling Harvin's absence. As Ahmad Black recalls, the defense also wrestling with the impact of not having number one on the field. Definitely remember preparation without Percy Harvin was a little bit tough. You know, he got hurt in that Florida State game. So kind of seeing him not dressing out for the game. We're about to get ready for the biggest games of our lives. You know, just about size national championship. I mean, it's kind of hurtful. So, But we knew we, we, we had a great team of, of guys and you know, a bunch of all-stars that all Americans around that, you know, we can overcome the obstacles, man. That's what we've been doing all the years, overcoming obstacles and adversity. And um, that's what made our team so special is because how we overcame everything. It's not, it's not, you know, everybody has adversity. And it's not about, you know, whether you have it or not. Everybody's going to have it, but it's how you overcome it. And I think that's what made us so great is, you know, the times that we overcame adversity, we, we compartmentalized and made everything, you know, one game at a time and took it one game at a time. And, and Irving used to always say we don't have to be the best team in the, in the nation, but the best in that stadium that day. Once the action got underway at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, the Gators scored first on a three-yard pass to Carl Moore, but Alabama answered in less than a minute, using a 64-yard bomb to Julio Jones to get in position for the quick response. After both teams added field goals, the go-ahead score heading into halftime belonged to David Nelson. Third and goal. There's the snap. Here comes Alabama. He looks to make the throw. Down to the goal line. Touchdown! David Nelson right there to make the reception, and the Gators lead. The Gators led 17-10 at the half, but the undefeated Crimson Tide came out of the locker room firing, owning the third quarter with two lengthy drives that ate up nearly the entire clock and put them ahead 20-17 entering the fourth quarter. The Orange and Blue had won their last eight games by an average of 40 points, so they hadn't dealt with a tight finish since the loss to Ole Miss. Given that, there was reason to believe the moment could be too big against the nation's top dog. But when Florida got the ball back, they went to the ground, challenging the Alabama front with an 11-play, 62-yard drive that featured nine rushing attempts and ended with the go-ahead score. Boy, if the nose of that football, if it was allergic to the goal line, it'd be sneezing now. Second and inches. Dimps the running back. Tate Casey's in the backfield as a wingback. Javier Estepina is blocking. 
Here now is Tebow, going to run to the left, option to Dimps, and Dimps will run in untouched for a Gators touchdown. Oh, my, take the lead here in the fourth quarter. It's 23-20. to 20. And the play of the play was Tate Casey, who just threw a perfect block to put Jeff Dimps after catching the option pitch, going to the left, into the end zone, untouched, and Tate Casey just chopped down Rashad Johnson all the way to the ground. In fact, chopped him so good, he knocked his shoe off. You know, it was Alabama was tough. You know, that was probably the, the most disciplined and sound football team that I've, that I've ever uh, played against. And, you know, they were getting the momentum, we were getting the momentum, but, yeah, I know Urban definitely came into the huddle. You know, when it was crunch time, he would, you know, come into the huddle of the offense and, and tell us, man, like, hey, God, this is it. We need this drive. You know what I mean? They give one of his his uh, speeches, right? Mm-hmm. And it was different levels to the speeches as well. So it was like he would give a speech. you know, like, ah, okay, we'll do it. But then, you know, the, the speeches that he would give, you know, in the SEC championship game, you know, on that drive or the national championship drive. So it was one of those speeches that he that he gave to us you know, for us to march down. And then, you know, like I said, uh, for me to, to finish it off with a touchdown, I, my whoever would have caught the pitch would have scored. You know, my mm-hmm. job was easy at that point. You know, the line, uh, you know, opened up everything. Take Casey made a, a incredible block on the outside. You know, all I had to do was just, you know, I could have walked. I don't know why I jumped, but <laughs> I could have actually just walked. I could have walked in. I don't even know why I jumped in the end zone. You know, but it was a lot of guys that made that came up and made big plays when they had to. The Gators led 24-20 to with just under nine minutes to play when Alabama got the ball back. And while the defense had uncharacteristic letdowns early in the game, they certainly showed up in the fourth quarter, forcing a critical three and out highlighted by a Jermaine Cunningham sack. As Ahmad Black remembers, the key to shutting down the tide in the fourth quarter wasn't complicated, but that didn't make it easy. Alabama's offense is, is solely based off of I don't know how it is now. I don't watch too much Alabama, but you know, back then it was solely based off of run, 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 play action, throw deep. And, and you know, they got the, the guys that the, the play action to throw deep or the play action to throw over routes. And they got Julio Jones to run away from you, Marquise Mays that'll run you one away from you, Hanks that, you know, guys that'll run away from you. Um, and they had a freaking Ingram in the backfield with Glenn Coffey. So it was like <laughs> double troubles, you know. The offense went back on the field looking for some insurance to complete the comeback, which they got on third and goal with just a few minutes left. The snap to Tebow. Tebow looks and looks and throws the ball low to Cooper at the goal line. He's got a touchdown on a slant play. Rayleigh Cooper, a catch. Oh, my. Thanks to two fourth-quarter touchdowns and a goose egg from the defense, the comeback was complete. And for redshirt junior David Nelson, the reason they pulled it off could be summed up in one word. Tebow. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, just one word, Tebow. People always ask me, like, you know, what was it like playing with him? And I always tell them, like, it, it was something, it's something special to be a play with somebody or to know somebody who just has this unwavering desire to be great, unwavering desire to, to be excellent, to never accept defeat, to never. And I, I just remember there's going into the huddle because Percy was hurt that game. And that was a game I played a lot. Uh, going into that huddle, that last drive, and just him looking into every single – one of those where you huddle up on the sidelines and then you run to the field. And he gathered everybody around. You know, guys were like, you know, pouncing. Like, we got this, guys. And the other, few other guys like, come on, we got this. We're going to do this. And just seeing him amongst, in the midst of all those egos, in the midst of all those superstars, future first-round draft picks, stepping in, commanding the huddle. I mean, there was just so much conviction in his voice. 
of what he was saying. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, Hey, we're going to go drive down the field and we're going to score a touchdown. And this game's going to be ours. It was just this fire and look in his eye the way. He was saying it, that when he said it, you know, all the nerves that you think you're going into this two minute drill and thinking, okay, gosh, I really hope we win. It was all eliminated. When he stepped in there, it was, this is going to happen. He is going to find a way to make this happen. When you're, when your leader has that fire and has that look in his eye, you can't do anything but, but follow him. And I think everybody at that same same time, there was a consensus like, okay, you know what? There's without a question, there's no question in our mind that we are going to take this ball down. We're going to score and we're going to win this game and we're going to go to the national championship. And it was just such a, such a special feeling. And that wasn't just a byproduct of that game. That was a byproduct of seeing Tim in the, in the weight room every single day, refusing to be denied. If they told him to do five reps, he was doing 10 reps. If somebody was doing four reps and he was next to him, he was walking over there encouraging him. That was something that was developed over time, that trust, that relationship, that, um, that respect. And so when he stepped into that huddle, it wasn't just, here's our starting quarterback. Here's this Heisman Trophy winning superstar quarterback. It was, here is this guy. Here's our leader. Here's this guy who we've seen do it time and time again in the weight room, in the classroom, in practice. So you know what? I have no choice but to believe that he's going to do what he's saying he's going to do because he showed us that time and time again. The voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, also marveled at Tebow's leadership in claiming the program's eighth SEC championship. That was a, a turning point game in that the Gators were really being stymied for three quarters by Alabama. And I think Nick Saban's crew, little did anybody realize that, you know, the decade that would follow for Alabama. But they were beating Florida for three quarters and then it's like Tebow put him on his back in that fourth quarter and we rallied and, and beat him and, uh, you know, beat him 31 to 20, but it, it didn't look good for a long time in that game. Mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, that really was almost a changing of the guard because after that, Alabama would, uh, you know, get back in that game uh, with much more dominance. For junior kick returner, Brandon James, staying on the same championship path as the 2016 was validation for the leadership shown by his class. Um, that SEC game was special because, again, all the work you put in to be able to get back to that game, you know, that was special because we felt like we were the leaders of the team and we were able to get the team back into position to uh, have an opportunity to play um, in a national title game. And uh, we're going against Alabama, but Alabama wasn't the Alabama they were now. You know what I mean? They were right. just – Saban was just on the cusp of getting them back there. And so I tell people all the time, like, you know, even when they beat us the next year, like, you know, they looked at us as the better team and they were just happy to be there. We felt like we were going to win the game. And, uh, you know, so it was a special game. I think I set the SEC game for kickoff return, yard, you know, kickoff return. They were scoring a lot, but we were having a lot of success on kickoff returns that week. Um, and it just being a back and forth game, a lot of talent being on the field. And, uh, you know, again, I learned the greatness of Coach Saban that game. Um but at the same time, man, I just knew that we were some some way going to pull that game out. Unlike two years prior, there was little doubt the Gators were headed to Miami for the BCS title game. So once the matchup with Oklahoma was set the next day, they were ready to get to work. For Ahmad Black, it was a pinch-me moment. I just remember, you know, it, it was almost like a surreal surreal type thing. Uh, you know, was, we were playing a national championship, so... Um, you know, that's that's literally the goal. That's where every team starts, you know, and in end of August is to try to make it to the national championship. So uh, we were able to do that. And on top of that, I was in Miami. So that was a little bit better. That was a little bit, 
made the process a little bit more smoother. We uh, got to, to spend Christmas with our families and whatnot. So, um, you know, going down to, to South Florida, um, it's a little, a little bit warm Christmas, but it was okay. With a month until the game, figuring out the right rhythm and balance in terms of preparation is one of the heaviest challenges for the uninitiated. But given Meyer and his staff had masterfully navigated the same scenario in 2006, Jeff Demps remembers it being very smooth. To me, we didn't do anything different, honestly. We practiced so hard, man. It was like another day, another week. We know we knew what Oklahoma had. Of course, we knew they had, you know, Sam Bradford, Jerry McCoy, and we knew the points they were putting up. You know, we would watch the games and see, like, man, these guys, you know, they the real deal. So, you know, I think we really wanted to pick up the pace, pick up the tempo on our offense, you know, and then, of course, we wanted to, to slow down their offense, you know. That's the only difference I really see, like, okay, well, you know, the pace got a little faster just because, you know, those guys were, you know, putting up, what, 60, 70 points a game or something crazy. Yeah. So it was, you know, the practices were a lot faster. Like, we had the, the tempo were the tempo was really fast. But other than that, I don't, I don't think we did anything different. Like I said, we, our Tuesday and Wednesday practices, man, were uh, bar none, man. Like it was, I'd say it was, it was definitely tougher than the games. Mm. Our, our Tuesdays and Wednesday practices, man. So we, I think we just kept that consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, we just did what we just, you know, we did what we always did. But the temp, like I said, the tempo was a lot faster. They had it scripted so well. We had like phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, one of the first phase was like, you know, staying in shape, conditioning and whatnot. We played this thing called Gator Balls, like football in the in the stadium, you know, just throwing it around. And then we uh and then after that we went to phase two. Phase two was more pads, you know, get back in the shape of things. Phase three was like, hey, we learned we're learning their stuff and whatnot. I can't remember if it was a phase four. Um, but I know, you know, they had it broken down. Something similar to what they had just did in uh, two thousand six. On paper, the Sooners were scary with Heisman winner Sam Bradford at the helm of an offense that was averaging over 60 points in their last seven games leading up to the title tilt. But junior linebacker Brandon Spikes was pretty sure he heard similar hype two years earlier in the build-up to playing the Buckeyes. I feel like, you know, that that whole thing is almost like a deja vu for me. Because I'm like, yo, oh my gosh, here we go again, one of these... Team, one of these conferences that play two games a season come at, you know what I'm saying? They've been scoring 70 points on all of they all of their opponents. 70 points. What it was? What they was averaging 60 or 70, something ridiculous. Something I was like, you do y'all really think y'all gonna come in here one of the top defenses and score 60 points on us? Like, seriously. Like, just I don't care if y'all been doing that, but just think, look at this defense. Look at what we got out here. You know, look at all this experience. And we don't play it in a big game. Y'all ain't ever been in a big game. Y'all whole three or four years, whoever was over there, I think um, Bradford was a senior, right? Wasn't he a senior? I think he was a junior that year. Oh, he was a junior, but uh, McCoy was a senior, I think. McCoy, they had Gresham, like the, the tight end. Yeah, I think those yeah, was yeah. older guy, but they had never been in no big games. Right. And my uh, they had been in the show. I'm like, yo, we've been here before. And on top of that, we're in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. What do you think? Like we're at home. This is the, we got the we got advantage home team. You know what I'm saying? We got the home crowd. We the home team, and the, you know what I'm saying. We like I said, they they we already done been there. These guys are set the standard for us. Like we know how to win the big game. We have won it. We know we can win it. So it's one thing about going and hoping everything go right. But if you don't win and made it happen, it's a different experience. It's totally different. You go into it a whole different way. You're not expecting stuff to go your way. You know it's gonna go your way because you know did it. But so but. 
for us, like for me personally, that was deja vu all over again. I was like, you know what? We just going to play the game. I, I, we knew deep down. I think a lot of the guys defensively knew that we was going to handle business with them too. We didn't say much. You know, Charlie, you know, Charlie was like, I know I like, I like y'all talk a lot of trash, but it's a long time. So he's like, y'all stay off of social media. When y'all do interviews. Don't be talking like y'all. Mike Tyson and, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like y'all just do, you know, he's just trying to keep us humble. You know, we still had a lot of young guys that was playing that was ballers. They were just young. I think one of them was who was Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden, like, you know what I'm saying? These guys top 10 players in the NFL still at their position. Easy. This it was his ninth or tenth year. He's still out there. But anyway, he was just like, you know, keep these younger spikes you, because you know what I'm saying? You the one want to get everybody going. So you keep your mouth shut, everybody else will too. You the leader, so whatever. I was like, man, whatever. It's a national nice championship. This our second one. Right. Why not? You know what I'm saying? Forget that. I was talking to Chad. I was like, we nicer than them anyway. But I was like, okay, coach, whatever. We'll we'll stay humble. Or whatever. <laughs> so when they get down there, I and my I just that's just what I I spoke to the defense. I was like, guys, you y'all really think that crowd gonna put 60 on us? I can't believe they really think they're gonna do that. They really thought they were gonna come out there and just throw the ball up and down and run the ball however they wanted to. Ahmad Black was similarly skeptical of the gaudy stats from the Big Twelve. Look at the defense they were playing against. Like look at the defensive ranks they were playing against. So that's what we were looking at. We we understand you know, we we respected them because they were putting up a lot of points, but like they're playing like the 102nd best defense and 115th defense. You know, we went, we was way better than that and playing better teams. So um, we just knew that we going in there, we stopped their running or their passing attack. We could stop anything. The hardest thing about them, no disrespect to them, they were, they were a good team, but I felt like we would have beat them really, really, really bad if they didn't just hurry up and, and had a fast-paced offense that they had. While some of the older players felt similarities to 2006, Meyer was sending a very different message. Well, it was a little different. You know, we we played the underdog role before. We weren't. I think we might have been a point underdog or something. But we, we, we didn't take that approach. We took the approach that was all going to be about preparation. Show great respect for their personnel, and just outwork, out prepare everybody. That was the whole mantra going into it. The 06 was about the underdog. We didn't belong. This one was about the most prepared team's going to win, and our preparation was incredible. For the Florida offense, the biggest concern was the health of Percy Harvin, who had missed the SEC title game with a high ankle sprain, but was determined to be on the field in Miami. To make that happen, Harvin worked tirelessly with the training staff through the holidays to accelerate his recovery, earning the ultimate respect and admiration from his teammates and especially his head coach. Well, per- Percy's a unique personality, and, and uh, you know, to see him put team ahead of self was something that was a uh, an awesome experience for me personally and also our team. And he broke his leg. If you remember, there was a fracture of his uh, leg in, at the Florida State game. And he missed the Alabama game, obviously. And then, you know, a lot of people said he wouldn't be back. Uh, he told me he would. He practiced very hard. He, and obviously, you know, once I think he had 180 all-purpose yards that game. And we w- we did not know really up until game time because he re-injured it one time during practice actually down in Florida again, ready for the game. So the impact he had in that game was twice we were backed up on huge momentum shifts of the game, and he got us out of being backed up. As the Gators got ready to play for their second national title in three years, Jeremy Foley still vividly recalls the run-up to playing such a monumental game in the Sunshine State. I remember being in Miami and just, you know, like you said, in the state, 
you know, there's a ton of Gator fans around, beautiful stadium. You know, obviously the Orange Bowl folks are, you know, people we've known forever. It's like the Super Bowl folks. Um, got to know the folks in, 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 in Phoenix extremely well. But, you know, the Gators have played in the Orange Bowl before. We had a history with it. Uh, and again, go back to what I said earlier. For five weeks, five weeks, you know, you're playing for a national championship. You're playing for a game that's going to determine whether you get a ring. And so, um, those moments you cherish, Adam. Um, every single second. That's why you go to practice maybe a little bit more, not so much to, you know, see what they're running. Um, just to just to be immersed in it, and to be around it, and be on the bus going to the stadium, and yeah, and obviously playing Bobby Stoops, who's a, a great friend and a great coach, and. You know, they had an incredible season, and you know we put the we put the exclamation point on a great year, a great job by our defense, because I think Sam Bradford was their quarterback and ringing up huge numbers, and was the number one pick in the draft coming up. But um, you know, great teams have great championships, and I think it was a hallmark of um, you know obviously Steve's team in '96 with Bobby coaching had a great defense, and you know Urban's teams in '06 and '08 had great defenses too. So I, I remember that, and just. I just remember, again, the journey is something that you enjoy because I knew how hard it was to do. As kickoff neared, Brandon James says the Gators were locked and loaded. Our confidence is soaring through the roof. So once you go through an SEC schedule that we did, we didn't feel like SEC, you know Oklahoma stood a chance. We knew we could beat them. Um, but at the same time, we had to go show and prove. And, you know, that game was a little special for me because I had won my state championship in Miami in that same stadium. Hmm. So to be going back and playing a national title, game in that same stadium it's like okay this is you know this is a real special moment and um i remember that week being a special week you're down in miami man and you know you're trying to stay as focused as possible because you're in south beach um so (laughs) we're having we're having a good time of course because you know famously that's what a lot of us are known for of having a good time and still balling out so we had a good time man but you know we were ready to play come game night and you know it was a, a back and forth battle but you know, I vividly remember Major killing that kid on that one play. Me think, <laughs> me thinking it was a, a late hit because the ball wasn't even there anymore. Major just knocking his head off. But from then on, I knew, man, like we were the more aggressive team. We were the more physical team. And all we had to do was just, you know, stay the course, no matter the adversity, the up and down momentum of the game. As long as we stayed the course and just did our job and just executed the game plan that Coach Meyer and the coaching staff had put in front of us, you know, we we're going to be fine and we we're going to be victorious. On the final episode in this series, the Gators battle the Sooners in Miami and establish a new standard of excellence in Gainesville. Until then, I'm Adam Schick giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for joining us for the latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.